0: Good evening, Jundo. What's cooking? Well, I was just helping out
1: with dinner for our family. And by coincidence, the book we're
0: talking about is a Zen cookbook, How to Cook Your Life. A Zen cookbook, yes. The Tenzo Kyokun. The Tenzo Kyokun, my favorite Dogen book. Do you know why? Why is that? Well, we've talked about Dogen and the Shobo Genzo, and it's not easy to understand. And to be fair, there is a book that you've written that helps explain Dogen. But the advantage of this is it's a short book. Uh, We both have the translation with commentary by Kosho Uchiyama. Mine is called How to Cook Your Life. You've got an older edition with a different title.
1: It's called Refining Your Life, and it is one of my top three all-time recommend to
0: everyone Zen books, bar none. It's only 150 pages. It's very concrete. It doesn't require that you know references to the Lotus Sutra. And if anything, it's applicable to daily life, except for the problem that it's it's talking about a cook in a Zen monastery in the 13th century. And when I'm making bread in my kitchen or making dinner— it's kind of hard to, to figure out how it really applies.
1: It's not only about actual cooking, cooking. It's about working in the office, working at a 7-Eleven, working at whatever you do, whether you're a surgeon or you're the the person who cleans up the hospital room. By the way, in this COVID age, both vital to the hospital. But it is about work done with a certain spirit, which we're going to talk about today. It is the key to good work. It applies to mommies and daddies. It applies to anyone who has things to do.
0: So where do we begin? The the Tenzo is let's just explain quickly. He was the cook in a monastery, but he was more than that. He was the person who was responsible for organizing the meals and getting all the food together. And maybe a large monastery, he would be the head chef, and there would be sous chefs and pastry chefs and sauce chefs and all that.
1: Well, Dogen's point was you can't just give it as a title to someone. It's the spirit with which they do the work. And that's what we're going to look at today. And there are several points about being the Tenzo that apply to being either the receptionist in an office or a bus driver. Doesn't matter. And the first one is, treat everything as sacred. Can I read a quote from the
0: Tenzo? Sure. Go ahead and read a quote. These quotes will be from the translation we just mentioned. There'll be a link in the show notes.
1: Yes, by Okamura Roshi. Brilliant. Use the property and possessions of the community as carefully as if they were your own eyes. The Tenzo should handle all food he receives with respect, as if it were to be used in a meal for the emperor. That's it. No matter what you're doing, treat it with respect as if it's sacred. This is the first rule. How much of us consider a job just a job? But if we realize that this job is a service and treat everything as if it was a jewel, that is the first step to realizing that whatever we're doing has a higher purpose. Very important.
0: Now, the skeptic in me could assume that those in power would like to propagate that idea to make those doing menial jobs take their jobs more seriously and maybe not complain if they're not paid enough.
1: That's exactly right. That's a socioeconomic problem that we're not going to deal with today in the Tenzo Kyokun. Because <laughs> I agree that if you're working in a warehouse for certain big delivery company who will not be named, because they may turn, kick us off the internet if we name Amazon, Fair uh, point. You, may, you, you may be living in working conditions that you do not deserve. And that's a different thing. But for the person who's doing the job, You can either turn it from work, you know, just a job, or you can turn it into a calling. That is Dogen's point here. Now, if you were a monk in the 13th century, it wasn't all a bed of roses. It was hard. Dogen's point was, take what you are given and treat it like a jewel. That's our next point.
0: What's the famous saying? I can't remember who said this. Maybe it was Yogi Berra. Um, Do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life.
1: Not Dogan's point at all.
0: Oh, Dogen, okay. not well, I guess point. that w- we'll have to talk now, about that in our Yogi Berra episode.
1: Now, uh, I agree partly as a as a modern person, you should do something you love. You should do something that speaks to you, but that's only half of it. The other half is you can take what you're given and make it into something you cherish. You got to meet it halfway, and that's Dogan's next point. Can I read you something? Sure. Whatever vegetables you are given as the cook, make something magnificent. That's his point. Now listen to this. When the tenzo receives the food from the storeroom, he must never complain about its quantity or quality, but always handle everything with the greatest care and attention. Nothing could be worse than to complain about too much or too little of something, or of inferior quality. When you prepare the food, never view the ingredients from some commonly held perspective, nor think about them only with your emotion. Maintain an attitude that tries, I love this line, listen to this, that tries to build great temples from ordinary green, that expounds the Buddha Dharma, the Buddha's teaching, through the most trivial activity. When making a soup with ordinary greens, do not be carried away by feelings of dislike towards them, nor regard them lightly. Neither jump for joy simply because you have been given ingredients of superior quality to make a special dish. By the same token that you do not indulge in a meal because of its particularly good taste, there is no reason to feel an aversion toward an ordinary one.
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I spend a lot of time cooking. I very much enjoy cooking. And the cooking I like the most is the ordinary things that, that tend to be alchemy. Um, I like to make bread. Um, I like to make Boston baked beans. Have you ever made them? It takes a few hours. You have to cook them slow in the oven and keep stirring them until they reach the perfect point with the caramelization of the proteins that are in them.
1: They didn't allow beans so much in the monastery because they were living in very <laughs> close quarters. But I'm, I'm just, We had to get one, one one joke like that in
0: there. Right? <laughs> Fair point. But, but I appreciate foods made out of simple ingredients. Uh, my favorite soup is leek and potato soup, essentially leeks, potatoes, and garlic, um, and some vegetable stock.
1: Well, Dogen does not make the point directly here, but in another writing, he says, if your breakfast is broth, rice porridge so thin that you can see the reflection of the, ce- of the ceiling in it, enjoy. And if you're handled food for three people, but you have 30 to feed, do your best to feed the 30. In other words, it's the Japanese form of, when handed
0: lemons make lemonade. Yes. I think we should point out that the Tenzo was not someone who was chosen lightly. is actually a position of authority in a monastery back in the day. Um, not that he was a leader of people telling them what to do, but you had to be a relatively advanced monk to become Tenzo, correct?
1: Yes, but he was a leader of people telling him what to do, and still is. The monks rotate through the kitchen, and they had great lessons to learn. They were cooking while the monks were sitting, but their their cooking was vital to keep the community going, and the, the Tenzo has the job to educate the monks. Now, There's a certain way to do that, and that is, don't delegate. Can I read you something else? You must not leave the washing of rice or preparation of vegetables to others, but must carry out this work with your own hand. Put your whole attention into the work, seeing just what the situation calls for. Do not be absent-minded in your activities, nor so absorbed in one aspect of a matter that you fail to see other aspects. Do not overlook one drop in the ocean of virtue by entrusting the work to others, but cultivate a spirit which strives to increase the source of goodness upon the mountain of goodness. The mountain of goodness. Well, like a good motivation tape, let's face it, Dogen (laughs) talks big here. You know, of course they delegated in the monastery. Of course, yeah. of course, you're the, the chef in a big kitchen. Yeah, you're, you're keeping your eye on the whole thing, but you're not watching every grain of rice. That's just, that's no. just the kind of talk you do in a motivational speech. But Dogen meant it generally. Now, he has a couple of good stories. You know the stories about the two old monks?
0: Mm, there's a lot of stories about two old monks, but which one do you want to talk about? This, this is uh, when Dogen was on the boat
1: that landed in China. Uh, apparently, his passport was out of order, and they wouldn't let him off the boat. So he had to hang around the boat for about a month, and uh, two uh, tenzos showed up from nearby monasteries to cook, to buy mushrooms and various other supplies, and Dogen uh, made their acquaintance and invited them to tea, and uh, they had a very good time talking Zen, and then uh, Dogan said, well, would you stay for dinner? Would you hang around? And then both monks said basically the same thing. No, I've got to get back to the monastery. I'm going to cook. And Dogen said, well, don't you have uh, helpers? Can't they handle it tonight? And both of them said, if not me, who? And if I don't go now and do it, when? And that is an important lesson. Take responsibility. How much in this world is that we don't take responsibility for the work we're doing,
0: right? Well, it depends. You and I are freelancers, so we have to take responsibility. So we're, I guess, we're tensos in a certain way.
1: Well, whatever you're doing, I'm a translator and I, I apply this book to my work quite a bit. I can't say I always live up to it because, like I said, it's a, it's a book setting high ideals, but the spirit should be in all our hearts. Don't complain about quality, see your work as
0: sacred, don't delegate. Very important. How about we talk about equanimity?
1: I have, uh, I could take it or leave it. That's an equanimity joke. Oh, No, no.
0: Equanimity
1: (laughs) is very much the same as what we were talking about as vegetables. When life hands you bitter vegetables in life, take it with equanimity. Now, that doesn't mean that you just literally grab the garbage or grab whatever uh, gold in the pantry and treat it the same. Of course, we try to get the best vegetables we can to be of service to the community the guy doing the shopping is not just grabbing stones and and, and uh, tomatoes and treating them the same. But the point is, part of our heart must know equanimity. So when life hands you some bitter vegetable, of course, you, you try to do better, but part of you must accept it as if it was a feast. And it is a feast. It's the feast of life.
0: Okay, well, this brings me up to a conundrum. Uh, I may have mentioned that I live next to a farm, and my landlord, the farmer, has a small farm shop next door to my house. Um, He sells all sorts of vegetables, many that he grows, others that are grown in the area, and some that he imports. He has oranges and lemons. One of the things he grows most and that he's best known for is Brussels sprouts. Oh, I hate them. Now, I have Yuck. to admit, I, ah. I hate Brussels sprouts. So, should I somehow become a tenzo of my own kitchen and make great temples from ordinary Brussels sprouts? Dogan has a quote that's uh, apropos about Brussels, Brussels sprouts. sprouts. Yes.
1: The many rivers which flow into the ocean become the one taste of the ocean. When they flow into the pure ocean of the Dharma, there are no such distinctions as delicacies, or plain food, or Brussels sprouts—he didn't mention Brussels. I just tossed that in. But <laughs> there is just one taste, and it is the Buddhist teaching: the world itself, as it is, in cultivating the aspiration to live the way. Delicious and ordinary tastes are the same, and not two. There is an old saying. Ask me what the old saying is.
0: What's the old saying, Jundo?
1: The mouth of a monk is like an oven. In other words, no, there's nothing that's going to make me like Brussels sprout. But if I'm in the monastery and we have our meal and they serve me Brussels sprouts, I will eat them and honor them and perhaps even enjoy them. I actually have a a, a story about that. I was at uh, Sojiji doing a session and the donor gave, A cheesecake with all kinds of cream on it. Beautiful.
0: That doesn't sound like a very Japanese type of dessert.
1: Yeah, but they served it. So we're in the Oreoke and suddenly they're coming out, you know, with a New York cheesecake. (laughs) Which I was like, wow, I love New York. I'm from New York. I love New York cheesecake. And I thought, okay, well, here's my chance, you know, to really enjoy this. I love this. And I looked around and all the monks just picked it up, stuffed it right in their mouth. Brussels sprouts cheesecake meant nothing. Went right in, swallowed, it was gone. It's just medicine to keep us going.
0: I was thinking that the punchline of your joke was going to be that it really wasn't a cheesecake, but that it was made of tofu.
1: <laughs> well, the cooking in the monastery is vegetarian, by the way. Yes. So they, don't, they actually don't treat all things uh, with equanimity. But if you go to South Asia, they're not vegetarian because the Buddha said, if somebody puts meat in your bowl, you meet, eat meat. You don't go out looking for the meat, but if somebody puts a, a T-bone steak in your bowl,
0: that's dinner. So the Tenzo had a responsibility to provide this food, this sustenance to the monks in the monastery. And the monks in the monastery were sort of required to be pleased and accept everything that they got. It was a kind of both sides had to get along here. Even if the monks didn't like the Brussels sprouts or the cheesecake, they still had to appreciate it, right? Yes,
1: but the the Tenzo is expected to do his best. And you actually had a little Freudian slip there. You said the monks in the monetary instead of the monastery, which is good because it's not about personal profit. This was always Dogen's point. Don't work for personal gain. Work for others. Can I give you a quote about that? And and this is true. If you're in the drive-thru at McDonald's, work for others. If you're a nurse in a hospital, of course, you're working for others. If you're driving a bus, this is for all of us. Always be working for the benefit of others because working for the benefit of others benefits oneself. To understand that through making every effort for the prosperity of the community, one revitalizes one's own character. And to know that endeavoring to succeed and to surpass the ancestors of past generations means to learn from their lives and value their example. That's a lot of fancy language for saying, do your best to try to meet the great heroes of the past and work for others. Do your best sincerely and make it about others. And you know, then you benefit too.
0: Yes, if you treat others with respect, they'll treat you with respect. W- one thing that I've noticed in this pandemic is the importance of what is generally considered to be menial jobs, Um, I'm thinking of the delivery people who come and leave packages, which enable us to buy things without going into what are now dangerous supermarkets. Um, All of them, except for the guy who just tosses things on the front lawn, I don't like him, but all of them are doing their jobs seriously, even though that they're under a lot of pressure with 100 packages to deliver. Um, The people working in the supermarkets, the people doing Those What we considered small jobs are now the frontline people, and it takes a pandemic for us to realize how important they are.
1: The folks in the Amazon workstation with the terrible working conditions who deserve better and we should reform the socioeconomic system, they too, we should be grateful. Realize, and this is a lesson here too of the Tenzo, the Tenzo does not do it alone. It's the farmer, it's the ground, it's the sun. It's the people who bring the vegetables. It's the entire crew. It's even the people who receive. There's no job for the Tenzo unless there are mouths to feed. So we are
0: all interdependent. A lot of this, though, is—and Dogen wrote—we've talked about the Shobogenzo, but he also wrote a lot of texts that are about how the monks behave in a monastery. And a lot of these are because these were a lot of young men in close quarters— without much privacy, who had to live together in a communal situation. So a lot of this is really setting down ground rules, isn't it, for how people should live together when they're very close?
1: Well, that's one of the reasons that the other important offices for all these guys living together was the guy keeping the bath (laughs) (laughs) working and the, the guy who cleaned the toilet facilities. In very yes. important offices, almost as much as, because what goes in must come out, <laughs> you know.
0: All right, so one of the most important things for me is what Dogen calls the three minds, joyful mind, magnanimous mind, and parental or nurturing mind.
1: Also called grandmotherly mind,
0: which we'll get to in a second. Really? Why not grandfatherly? Well, something about grandma. We'll get to grandma in a second. Let's start okay, with joy. So, so joyful mind, what's that?
1: Joyful mind means to be joyful about what you're doing because you're alive to be here doing it. Uh, He says, how fortunate we are to have been born as human beings, given the opportunity to prepare meals for the monks. Our attitude should be one of joy and gratefulness. And it's true. You know, you may not feel grateful in joy. But if you really think about it, this is your life, and if you can find within you joy and gratitude just to be here doing that, that's the first step to happiness, according to Dogen.
0: Okay. Magnanimous mind?
1: Magnanimous mind is actually something we've been speaking uh, of uh, all through this episode, which is equanimity. Here's his definition. Magnanimous mind is like a mountain, stable and impartial. Exemplifying the ocean, it is tolerant and views everything from the broadest perspective. Having a magnanimous mind means being without prejudice and refusing to take sides. When carrying something that weighs an ounce, do not think of it as light. And likewise, when you have to carry 50 pounds, do not think of it as heavy. Do not get carried away by the sounds of spring, nor become heavy-hearted upon seeing the colors of fall. Now, of course, he's talking—Zen people are always talking from one side. So, of course, if it's, something's heavy, it's heavy, we know. If something in life is painful, like we become sick, it's not pleasant. But part of us, deep down, should have this magnanimous mind which welcomes it all and treats it the same.
0: Okay, so parental or grandmotherly mind, nurturing mind—
1: well, this is the attitude of the officer of the temple to the monks, but it could also be a manager in a company to his employees as best as possible. It's hard to all, always to, to, you have to sometimes think of the company and the company policy, but as best you can, think of your underlings this way. And of course, to an actual parent, to his or her actual child. So let me just read it, it speaks for itself, and it's one of the most beautiful sections. Roshin that means parental mind, is the mind or attitude of a parent. In the same way that a parent cares for an only child, keep the monks in your mind. A parent, irrespective of poverty or difficult circumstances, loves and raises a child with care. How deep is love like this? Only a parent can understand it. A parent protects the children from the cold and shades them when the hot sun is hot with no concern for his or her own personal welfare. Only a person in whom this mind has arisen can understand it, and only one in whom this attitude has become second nature can fully realize it. This is the ultimate in being a parent. Now, I wish all parents really in this world were like this. Unfortunately, not all parents are. But as an ideal, isn't it beautiful?
0: It is. This is what we signed up for, isn't it?
1: Uh, when I signed up to be a parent, this is actually what uh, I, I sometimes turn to these words, as inspiration. Because being a parent is uh, at least as hard as being the, the temple book, I guarantee you.
0: I think it's a lot harder. There's a lot yeah. more juggling and worrying. And, and imagine being the Tenzo and having a hundred monks to deal with. Being the parent of a single child is more difficult than that.
1: Yeah, the hundred monks might not complain very much because they're not able, but my kid tells me when he doesn't like the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> that's for sure.
0: <laughs> okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I think it's dinner time for you, isn't it? Well, that's but whatever's served. I'm fine with it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating, tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.